to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. I have no idea how I did it, but somehow I got Ted Leo to come on our dumbass socialist podcast for vampires Are and shit. Are you happy now? Um, this you and wanted? I got and I got the pharmacists. Yeah, and oh. Anders got the pharmacists to come on redacted tonight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do things separately. Yeah. Um, maybe I shouldn't joke them. about that. I don't know if what I think. I believe they're uh, they're still a, a band. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to get back on that. I don't know. Ted Leo is coming on this show later. Yes. That you're listening to right now. So it's, that that's not a joke, even. Yeah, we asked some no dumbass questions to him. I used to listen to him before I ever ever had sex. That's how long I've been listening to his music. Oh, weird. Really? Three did years. He, did that help you do it? <laughs> uh, honestly, I think so, actually. Um, yeah, wow, I, this is a much bigger interview than I realized. Well, for you. I mean, okay. that makes sense. Rhythm is a huge part of sexual intercourse. I don't mean that I was smashing to the rhythm of, like, me and Mia. <laughs> well, yeah, but that would like, be weird. I just meant that I listen, played music, and it's when you cool. Listen when you're to in a lot of music. When you dance a lot, especially when you hump your mattress, you know, certain parts of your body get acclimated and prepared for the uh, experience in the ephemera of penetrative sex. You threw that hump your mattress part in there like that was very common. (laughs) What are we even talking about right now? Talk about rhythm. I'm talking about the power of song. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, We're talking about punk fucking rock. Motherfucker. For or against. You decide. (laughs) Um, The end of the episode. Another music episode. Uh, This episode came about fairly organically, so it kind of veers all over the place. But I do want to explain up top kind of why and how this is happening. So this last week, a musician named Pete Ventantonio, known by his stage name Jack Terrycloth, frontman of the World Inferno Friendship Society, passed away. And punk is a thing where um, these are real people. And... They're not far away in Hollywood behind a mansion somewhere. They're just in the scene. I just heard about it here in Brooklyn. You know, people know the guy. And um, this is also kind of odd because I'm not like a huge World Inferno head. I actually kind of did this because I wanted to, through the process of like reading and listening to music and making this podcast dive deeper into the band's like catalog and try to understand what was going on there because uh, I had kind of an interest in, in the band, but uh, it's been a while since I listened to them. And so I wanted to like make a project, you know. 
We're trying to do like an across the universe for this band. <laughs> yeah. You discover yourself through their music. Well, also because like more and more as I started to go down a rabbit hole, I was realizing how much we have in common with bands like that. This band specifically, punk musicians, weirdo goths, um, comedy and the theatric nature of what they did on stage have a lot in common. We'll get into it. Temporary autonomous zone stuff. Chris Gethardy breaking the fourth wall stuff. Um, it's on stage, guys. Yeah. And there's like an overall overlap Venn diagram thing regarding like um, the just the, the, the kind of mystical nature of like performing and has, as it relates to and this is my big kind of galaxy brain kind of uh, thesis for the episode, I guess. It's like uh, the idea of like praxis as it is thought of in, in anarchism sometimes, with like lifestyle anarchism. Stuff that we talk about sometimes when we talk about like mutual aid and stuff like that, or like crime think and the idea of, you know, just sort of like opting out of capitalism. I know that's the like opposite of like how a lot of theory works. You know, I talk all the time about how I'm not like a lifestyle communist. I'm not like a vegan or anything like that. I'm like, let's just wait until the whole thing gets flipped over. But there is something to be said for the idea of like, you know, stealing shit and, you know, and then just making like a, 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 a chaz in your city while the, you know, while the city's on fire and living in the moment, uh, you know, and it's sort of temporarily creating the world that we want to live in as like a form of praxis in itself or whatever. Um, you know, I think it's an interesting yeah. question. Can it happen? I don't know. Maybe a drum is a weapon. Is it happening? Kind <laughs> of. Are we accessing it when we when we temporarily, you know, break down the rules of society or when we form like into a communal thing through art? I don't know. Interesting question, though, you know. Yeah, I, I do think it has educational value, you know, showing people, like, this is a semblance of what your life would be like under a different system. Um, well, also, if you are, freedom. you know, sometimes when we talk about, like, the utopian end goal of all this stuff, it's a thing that'll never, like, you're not going to see it within your own lifetime. So when you're taking stock of what you did in your life, you'll go, oh, that, yeah, all those shows I played they kind of add up to an experience that does equal right. like the end goal on some level. So there's like this really mm. huge philosophical aspect to it too, you know, about whether you're, the point is the end, you know, the end of the parabola, the part of the graph you'll never actually reach, but you'll tend towards or, or just what you're doing right now, you know? You want to see the end of the parabola. And this is a question graph. I'm asking in regards to, a guy playing a saxophone and a guy playing an accordion while a human that looks like the human version of Jack Skellington sings about, you know. <laughs> like when Shrek becomes was, a man, he's like if Jack Skellington <laughs> became a man. That, I mean, this is what uh, Marx was going to write about before he died. Really? Can you expand on that a little bit? I, I mean, I'm, I'm oh, you're fucking kidding, around. Yes, <laughs> I like, but, I was like, wait, is it for real? He was going to write about vampires? There's no facts I don't know about. <laughs> no, yeah, oh. I mean, I, yeah, it's um, you should have joy, right? In in movementism, right? It's it can't be just uh, it's it's hard, right? 
Um, trying to change the world is very hard. It's scary. It's uh, it beats you down. It can be tedious and stuff. So it's good to have like you know moments where you feel like you're in it, right? Uh, and that you've transcended something, um, and that can spread to other people. Um, but yeah, I, I think, and it, I think this is at its best when it is connected to those movements that are not just you know creating a temporary uh, phenomenon, but also in that long struggle, that hard struggle of uh, winning power for the working class. Um, Let me throw another one yeah, at It's you. not a choice between, right? We can, we can have our cake and eat it, too. We can have our cake and do our spreadsheets and canvassing, too. Well, let me throw another one at you. Maybe this is part of it in that, you know, a lot of revolutions, what's the first thing they do is fucking throw out the church, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe something like this comes along and takes its place, which is shaped more to meet our needs as people living in the new world that we're trying to build. You know? Yeah, it's like one of the fun churches with, with like, with rock bands in it. Church, but good. A mega church. It's 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 but instead of a guy with like huge '80s hair and big chunky glasses and like a weird, you know, J.C. Penney's outfit that doesn't quite fit, it's <laughs> a band where there are literally like 16 people on stage. Yeah, it's playing violins and oboes and shit, and uh, you know fun gothic they're all doing the claw klezmer music and the claw (laughs) i don't think we talked about let's talk we watched this documentary (laughs) on the band where this guy the main the front man keeps doing this thing called the claw and they're all like what is it and then in the documentary it's like it's like benito mussolini you know the claw (laughs) it's like that's a really dark origin story for a hand motion okay yeah (laughs) well jack terry cloth was like a really interesting guy and he everything was with intention so he in his music he talks about like peter laurie a lot who came out of like the weimar republic and just became this interesting kind of gothic figure in cinema with the heavy eyelids and everything and then he also talks about like paul robeson a lot you know who's like a musician who was in you know the mccarthy era and all that stuff and all those hearings and like the you know support of the spanish spanish civil war on the side of the you know the the anarchists and stuff like that, and uh, and then he also has like an interesting song that's about Lenny Reifenstahl, like the the Nazi propagandist. But it's it's not pro. It's just like it's like he's asking a bunch of questions in the lyrics, like was it worth it, Lenny? You know. So he's using. <laughs> no, all, <hey. laughs> so you he's know what she using all these. Sorry, I was just gonna say like like the the Mussolini claw thing, which is something that he does on stage where all the audience is doing the claw at him and stuff like that. It's um it's it's, it's like mention not use. You know, it's like the symbol is being used outside of the context. We all think yeah. it looks great. He's like a I, I do express anarchist. He's not a fascist, right? <laughs> He's doing no Rammstein shit. No one is saying shit. that. No one. Is, <laughs> and then there's that other oh, fucking spacing on their name. There's that German band who stole like all the like Nazi aesthetics just because it looks crazy. Well, like I um, Rammstein does that a little bit. Is yeah, that that's what I meant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of bands in the '80s that would do that too. Uh, you know, something funny about Lenny Reifenstahl is after the war. When people are like, "How the fuck could you make this movie? Like, what is wrong with you?" She was just, "Hey," she was like, "Hey, I, I was just filming what happened. I, 
I didn't a have, gig's like, a gig, right? Man. <laughs> well, she was trying to put it as like I'm completely objective. I was just a documentarian documenting, and that's what it was. Uh, I happened on the day to be getting slow motion footage of the finest athletes the white race has produced. <laughs> that's what was happening. Yeah. yeah, she's also said she didn't know about the Holocaust and stuff. Just like I was talking about this with my girlfriend earlier because that it's it's hard to say because I feel like people her take on it was that there was a mixed bag like a lot of people did know uh, obviously the people doing the exterminating uh, and people who lived near concentration camps but if you lived in like a city that was far away from this stuff like you probably didn't hear about it right you you could have put two and two together. But I think there are a lot of people who, who didn't know. There are also a shitload of people who are I like, who are. Knew, she probably, I mean, she at least knew knew enough to like not make that movie. But then again, <laughs> like, what other choice did she have? You know, other than honestly, like, if you, if you're in that situation, you should just say you didn't know ten out of ten. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the other thing. It's like it's hard to say because there are obviously a ton of people who say they didn't know who definitely did. You if know. if you were that integrated into the Nazi government and you were like, they're do they were doing what? what? You're either <laughs> lying or you're like an idiot because like, uh, you know, I mean, they had the skulls on the hats and stuff. <laughs> like, I thought we were just doing movies. This yeah. is terrible news. I thought, I thought we were just into skeletons. Like it was an aesthetic. Yeah, I thought you know, we were like just, we were goth. We're just, it's a motif. We're just hot topic, you know? <laughs> we're really hot into... Hot topic, theme of the week. <laughs> this is a hot topic themed episode. Yeah, I mean it is very hot topicy. This band. Yeah, I ain't no way around it. It's it's like, um, you know, it's like corny a little bit, but it's fun. It's just a sincerity in that. You might it's even corny go with as a K. yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like sad, hot but it's true. topic. I follow you. You might even call Wait. it cringe, to be honest with you. But I mean that in a like a very positive way like it's before everything was just draped in layers of irony you know right for the internet really boiled over and turned into what it is stuff like and this it's very sincere and it was uh the, a lot of the fans describe or said like you know people say we're a cult and probably you know which is interesting because that's kind of the mark of not being a cult is if you're self-conscious about it you know yeah so I don't know if I would call them a cult, uh, but they were uh, very, it was a community, really. Um, it was kind of beautiful to see. This yeah. documentary you can watched. cringe for good reasons. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, for, if you're at the end of sex, that's kind of like a cringe. That is kind or, of uh, well, Maybe the way you do it's it. It's a pal. wince, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's cringe in a way. Yeah, maybe cringe doesn't always have to be cringe. A good hug. Maybe you're just trying another face for a little, you know, variety. Marks would have posted cringe. cringe. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, he would have. Oh, also important just to get out of the way. When Ted Leo comes on, he's going to ask us about defining anime. That is a different conversation we had <laughs> off radio. I thought we were going to try and recreate it organically. This is the recreating it organically. Yeah. We are going we were talking about anime and later on <laughs> Ted Leo will talk about anime 
we need to say it up front so it makes sense because the first part didn't get put on the microphone. <laughs> Alex I, is I was watching. to see if it was going to happen again, but we did like get lost in the Holocaust for a while, <laughs> so I was like, let's just get this out of the way. <laughs> uh, Alex is watching a Japanese version of BoJack Horseman. I don't know if it's a direct uh, remake no, or no, it's it just, just a similar. Okay. And what's it about again? There's it's DJs or comics, and it's like a sad, it's like a slice of life kind of drama show. It's good. I was saying the show is good, but do we you have to about... know Japanese, or do they do the subtitles or dub it? No, they do the subtitles. I don't think it's dubbed yet. Uh, shout out to Odd Taxi, which is kind of like punk in a way, <laughs> yeah. in its own way. But see, when you said all that. My brain is thinking, okay, it's like BoJack Horseman probably has a similar animation style to BoJack Horseman. And then I'm thinking, wait a second, this is Japanese. Would that still be anime? Could you have Japanese animation that does not follow any of the usual conventions when it comes to Japanese animation? Uh, when it comes to traditional anime? Could you like try to do a new thing or your draw from another country's traditions uh, in Japan you make the cartoon is it anime yeah I, I'm telling you dude they got all kinds of they have all kinds of cartoon shows over there it's all and not all of it looks like what we would consider anime <laughs> no those are just like the most popular ones end up over here because they sell really well and then so like the Dragon Ball Z's you know and stuff is like what you associate as anime but it's all over the place Okay. Ted, Le- I don't know how much Ted Leo knows about it. We didn't really get into it. <laughs> he seemed like he kind of knew about it. <laughs> I yeah. wonder what Ted's favorite anime is. We'll never know because you know we didn't ask because we were we talking know, about like how da- being on tour seems very uh, 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 hand in hand with having seen some anime to me. <laughs> Maybe that's not true. <laughs> you think oh, he true. was just worn out in the back of the tour bus? Watching <laughs> Doro Hidoro. <laughs> if you get okay in a situation, this is like a successful musician we're talking about. If you're in a hotel room, what's on at night? Adult Swim. What's on Adult Swim? Okay. Oh, we're watching Loop on the Third. Uh, Loop in the Third is on because it's two in the morning, and I'm a rock and roll guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You're probably right. That probably happened at some point. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. I bet he's in on it, but now you're in on it. So we mentioned the thing real quick also, I don't think we got to, is the the gentleman who passed away, very tragic, uh, Jack Terry Cloth. Uh, he was a... these were They were anarchists, uh, and he, as a teenager, Ronald Reagan was coming to his city, and he called it a bomb threat. Right. Uh, That's also why and, I was like... This guy's kind of like us, because <laughs> he got yeah. he got visited by the Secret Service. Well, it's funny like on yeah. the radio. I don't think you can say to do that, but we can all say we think this particular one that was kind of cool. It was funny, but and but at the same time, this was pre nine eleven, so all that happened is the Secret Service paid him a visit, uh, and then they would check in with him whenever the president would come again and ask, uh, hey, just checking in, making sure you're okay, no plans this time around. Okay, talk to you soon. Uh, the Secret Service thought he was funny because of it. Right. It was a different time. Yeah. 
Well, also, I mean, he, Ronald Reagan had even been shot, but they were still like, meh. You know, like, actually, want to shoot him again? Haha. Ha. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was the first president to be assassinated, and afterwards, you would think that they would be more secure with the president, what he does and stuff. But basically, everyone in the government was like, "Yeah, that was like a one-time thing. We we had a civil war." Never, it's not going to happen again. Freak accident. Yeah. No one will ever try that again. Right. And then 20 <laughs> years later, uh, James Garfield, who I honestly I would say is my favorite president, uh, is, as I've mentioned before, this was on a Monday. Uh, he's going on a trip and somebody uh, caps him in the stomach and he would have survived. But he, it was like two months he was in the hospital and he would have survived but the doctor, Dr. Bliss, who was treating him, did not believe in germs. Mm. He thought germ theory was kooky uh, and instead was like shoving steak and fudge, I'm not kidding, up his ass. Yeah. Because they thought that the richness would like heal the rest of his body. Yeah. It's kind of like a punk rock theory of medicine. It was like Dr. Gigi Allen right. he got yeah. accidentally. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> That guy, yeah. not only does he not believe in germ theory, he's, like, pro-germ. Oh, they shot the president. I fill him with fudge. <laughs> we make him all better. I fill him up with fudge. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that might be the third time we've talked about this on the show, but it is the greatest moment in American history, so I'll allow it. Yeah. Did I? Okay, I thought well, that was off mic, but... No, I mean, we talked about this before because that's also... Uh, they referenced it when the leaks came out uh, where... I can't remember how it was leaked, but it was like a few years ago, a bunch of our like Abu Ghraib torture stuff from the Iraq war was declassified. Mm -hmm. And in that we discovered that the American government had been shoving food up people's asses. And they said as justification for doing that, we did it to the president one time. Ah. <laughs> we did it to Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's why it's so called as Zero long as Dark you Thirty. Think, yeah. it's, as long as you think it's healing someone, you're allowed to do it. Okay. I guess. Yeah. That was their justification. was like, the, pre the president's done it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's funny. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's listen to a little World, world Inferno Friendship Society and talk about the arts performing the claw, the claw. The claw. <laughs> punk and comedy and all that shit Oh, 
are now joined by Andy Gitlitz, our friend from the Antifada. Hello. Andy, thanks for coming on the show. I wanted to ask you about uh, this band we're talking about, World Inferno Friendship Society, because you wrote a great eulogy of Jack Terry Cloth, who recently passed away, in Hard Crackers. Um, and I thought, did I say, I said in Hard Crackers, like it was like a publication. <laughs> you wrote it, it in Hardcracker. I know, it just sounded lofty to me for a second. Like you're like a zine. Like, oh, you wrote in shit zine uh, this week. <laughs> no, you wrote it in Crackers. So you, the, the letters were all formed by a series of crackers that Andy laid out well, on really, the sidewalk. Really quick, Hardcrackers is a publication. It's the, uh, it's like the, um, it's from the lineage of Race Trader, Nolik Natayev's excellent uh, journal slash zine from the 90s. So, um, definitely recommend Hard Crackers. Oh, cool. We read Nolan Ignatiev recently. That's right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I want to do an episode about this band because I was kind of vaguely familiar, but I am not entirely familiar. And I think that you could probably explain to us uh, the history of it a little bit to give us a foundation of what we're talking about. See, so can you ex- just explain to me? on a base level world world inferno friendship society yeah so they they formed in i think 97 um the the singer was uh you know born pete ventantonio i think that's how you pronounce it he was in a a jersey hardcore band called sticks and stones that like a lot of jersey bands was like a little bit smarter than your average hardcore band and um i think just at a certain point he wanted to do something a little bit more interesting like sort of break with the the formality of, of punk. And so in 97, he just, he was living, I think in the East village or in Williamsburg. And he just got together a bunch of the weirdos he knew and said, like, let's try to form a new, a totally new genre of band or a new kind of band. And he found three people who wanted to make like circus music and three people who wanted to make like a Brechtian punk cabaret. And he just formed uh, this thing called world Inferno friendship society um, that just, it, it was kind of like this weird cabaret rock opera with a horn section and extremely anarchist lyrics, but also all this weird witchy stuff about astral projection. And they quickly in the early 2000s gained this intense cult following of people who just spread their music around, like helped contribute to the lore of the band, came to every show, helped, uh, you know, create all these sort of rituals you do during the numbers. And so, uh, uh, do this during the songs, and and so uh, eventually, um, just any show that Inferno played became an Inferno show, and their fans would just rush forward and do this thing called the claw on the first song, where they were like clawing at the air, and people really thought it was some kind of cult, including probably some people in the in the fan base. But what's really incredible about this band is that, uh, especially the singer and, and main lyricist Jack Terracloth. Um, really believed in what he was doing and believed that punk and punk shows and anarchism were all coming together in these cathartic moments. And it wasn't exactly lifestyleism. It was more just like this sort of religious belief in punk, in Halloween, in anarchism. And um, it was a deeply, deeply meaningful thing for everybody who was a fan of that band. Uh, And they continued to be a band until the current day. They just had a release... I think a couple of years ago when they were touring up until the pandemic and uh, Jack sadly passed away just last week. Can you say more about the importance of Halloween? Yes. Expand on Halloween. That's actually a good question because Halloween was, was their 
annual like big event, right? Yeah, Hollow Mass. I see or this Hollow as Mass. being uh, in the tradition of the Misfits, who also played a Halloween show every year, um, and like uh, they would. You know, I think they played at uh, Irving Plaza um, and, like, just decorated it out in, like, cheap Halloween decorations and, you know, had songs about Halloween and stuff. And Inferno was from Bridgewater, New Jersey, which, I don't know, the, it's probably not too far from Lodi, where the Misfits are from. Uh, so there, there was just this horror punk strain in the band, but Inferno took it to this next level where their, their yearly hollow mass shows were, like, one show that they could never miss playing. They always had to play it. It always had to be very special. They always had to have some like major theatric element, and the fans just had to go. Like you have to, you know, it's like this is supposed to be the most important day of the year if you're a punk, and they really rose it up to this religious thing, uh, including with this uh, semi deity, the Great Pumpkin, borrowed from Charles Schultz. Charlie fame. Brown, yeah, yeah. and um, and he was this sort of messianic <laughs> figure, this like spirit of punk rock that you were supposed to summon through being. You know, having a lot of fun and being really fucked up and uh, being really punk on Halloween. <laughs> that was one part of Charlie Brown I always thought didn't fit in is how fucked up Charlie had to be to see the pumpkin. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. he was just a child, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But that's how that's how it was in New Jersey, and that's how it was at the time. Did they incorporate skeletons in the same way the Misfits did, or were skeletons sort of the odd man out there? Well, Jack looked like a skeleton. <laughs> He looked like Jack Skellington. Yeah, he really did. This World Inferno was like people in suits and stuff. And like there was this big goth like kind of circus gypsy. Like it's one of those bands that when I listen to it, I go like, wait a minute. You can do all different types of music at once. Like (laughs) why doesn't everyone do this all the time? Why does everyone have this like distinct lane that they run in? Like it's almost like the – the musical equivalent of like putting all the different sodas in one cup or something. A suicide, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the, Already but, a Halloween term. I, they're just not they're, when you say that it sounds really annoying <laughs> but, and it is, like a lot of people will find it very annoying, but they were doing something a little bit more um, a little bit more sophisticated than that. Like they were combining northern soul, uh, hardcore um, like circus music there were elements of klezmer, there was like a waltz song and it, but it worked together. It wasn't like Frank Zappa or or something like that, where it's just like different, you know, annoying uh, genre elements all up against each other. It was one coherent thing, but it wasn't like anything else that ever existed. You can compare it to like maybe Squirrel Nut Zippers or uh, the Redskins, this Northern Soul Oi band. But uh, most people saw it and they're just like, "What is this ska? Is this Gogo Bordello?" And yeah. it wasn't anything like right. those things. They were just really very very unique in terms of their you know their music their outlook their philosophy their shows yeah well i guess one thing that kind of occurred to me about this band when i was listening to it is it did remind me a little bit of gogo bordello but then it wasn't like that just specific gypsy punk thing it had these other elements but you're right it was very cohesive and it's not actually that pretentious or annoying or uh, you know on like crude it's a, it's a harmony not like a fucking crude mixture or something like that and um overall though i guess for me what's really interesting is like if our listeners know about like choking victim and sea squat and stuff like that they they came out of a scene where bands did have a certain edge and a certain anger and world inferno is just very fun and i think that like every show being this huge not only like party, but like almost like Burning Man kind of movement 
it lends itself to something interesting that we kind of talk about when uh, I mean you've you've talked about this context this concept of like the vortex like uh, you know anarchism existing kind of in like moments and like can can you describe like a little bit about what you were talking about in the in your piece about like what is actually happening in like a world inferno show well I, I think um, as they got this cult following uh, this is just my theory I wasn't I wasn't there for like the very early days like 99 2000 I started going in like 2002 but I think uh, the band saw that they were getting this following of like suburban kids who were maybe into punk maybe they were theater kids or band geeks and instead of just being like oh this is like a lame crowd or something they they really like leaned into who was coming to the shows and romanticized it and the fact that like these were kids who like couldn't afford to go to the shows really or um like couldn't afford to drink they just wrote songs about like sneaking into shows stealing booze from the bar you know uh yeah they like um they appreciated the people that were coming out and they kind of, um, through the lyrics and through also their activity, like, uh, they, like I, I couldn't afford, I was like, you know, saving my lunch money to go to these shows as a kid and like sneaking in the, going in the bathroom on the train to the city um, so I didn't have to pay for the train. And then the band like reliably would sneak me into the show. They would sneak anyone <laughs> into the show, no matter if you're, you know, if, if you're underage or, um, and then, you know, once you're in there, you could just cause whatever trouble you wanted. Uh, and that's just like the punk scene back then used to be a little bit like that. There used to be this hostility to anything economic about uh, punk, like even any like venues. I know people back then who are like, you're not supposed to even play at venues. And their attitude was like, we'll play at venues. Just our fans will fuck it up <laughs> because we're, we're not here to make money for a venue. We're here to do a fucking punk show. And they 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 were true to that to the end, like uh, like few punk bands ever were. Why would the venues keep booking them if they're like singing about how they're fucking up and stealing things from the venue and encouraging uh, mayhem within? The, well, how do they keep getting booked to these places? They were banned from a lot of. <laughs> yeah, they were banned from a lot of venues. Yeah, I mean that happens. That, that you talked about this in, the, in your piece, but like that's also uh, it's an echo of something that Black Flag would do if they right. didn't like the way a show was going down. They'd go into Louie Louie, and that was the cue if you were a Black Flag fan to start destroying the bar that it was in. Um, yeah, and Inferno played a, had a song called "Zen and the Art of Breaking Everything in This Room." <laughs> um, and when if, if like the show was not going good. And they played that song. It was time to rip the place apart. And they actually, there's a venue in, in Coney Island called Cha Cha's. And I'm not sure what their beef with the venue was, but like after Inferno played there, that venue just couldn't have shows like ever again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Well, Crippled in, the room. It's an Inferno, you know? That's so interesting because I feel like in comedy, when your set is going bad, you are the least uh, uh, ability to get a crowd to destroy a room. Out of anything, <laughs> they're not going to listen to anything you say at that point. Yeah, <laughs> unless commit crime for you. <laughs> the only thing I've seen is when Krusty the Clown becomes a comedian. He gets Homer to <laughs> throw his pants off, and people get like burn money and shit. But even well, I remember like, that the, that was the nineties. Yeah. yeah, but even the people he's based on, like Carlin, who was you know railing against the system, wasn't actually getting the people in the room to destroy things. No. Well, by going bad, I mean like if if the people at the venue weren't paying the band well enough, or if they were telling the kids to you know if they were treating the stop fit. drinking right right yeah stop stealing <laughs> from us uh you know also uh jack would like breathe fire he eventually stopped doing it after great white but 
even after Great White, I think he, you know, when there was a, there's this fire at a club and a lot of people died, he would breathe fire. Where was he that night, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, like, uh, like even at DIY venues, and people were like begging them, do not, please, you're going to burn this place down. This is a flammable venue. Yeah. Fire is very hot. Um, it will catch things on fire when you blow it into our closed space. <laughs> <laughs> I encourage you to just play music instead. Why do I have to say this? You know what? Uh, this reminds me of, this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, Metallica, I remember seeing, I think it was a documentary or something about them or like some interview, and they're talking about playing in South America. And I don't remember what country it was specifically, but they're in South America and there's just so many people, mostly young people at their show that they said like they could, if they had shouted like, Revolution, like they would have made it happen and just become like the <laughs> revolutionaries or leaders, possibly for this. That sounds like something Metallica would say. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it may not be, maybe slightly exaggerated, but it's still a cool concept to think of. Like, <laughs> it sounds like something Lars Ulrich would just say straight faced into a camera and expect you to take very seriously. Well, I guess, I guess the reason that I kind of wanted to talk about this because it is kind of weird to do an entire episode about this, even though it is very timely. And you know, I mean, we're like we live in Brooklyn, where this band happened, and you know. Uh, where he lived and everything is that to me, what's interesting about this is there's this kind of circular logic to punk where like punk came about when, you know, people uh, had a new idea about how to make art. And it was very much angry about the, its predecessor, which was, you know, in my mind, it used to be only rich people could make art. And then people decided like wait a minute i could buy a hundred dollar guitar and i don't have to take all these classes and it's you know cathartic and it's like what people actually sound like and there's something very human and real about it and uh it's a statement in itself right but then like punk kind of existed for long enough and i think that this is reflected in some world for lyrics that like you know the leaving a group of people and becoming your own tribe you eventually become like kind of a tribe of people who have like a, you're almost like a mirror image of the society that you were sort of, you know, rebelling against. And um, so then that kind of then begs the question, well, does this process happen again? And do you then get something like World Inferno that it, it itself stands out in the punk world and is uh, is not just another band on a lineup, but it's something that's like breaking the boundaries of what a show can be and stuff like that. And it's just kind of more three-dimensional. And ultimately, I guess... What I'm asking is, like, is that is that like an expression that overlaps with something that we talk about in anarchism sometimes where like, well, like, for instance, when we were talking about Woodbine, you're talking about like just doing stuff, just 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 starting by just like reshaping the world around you by literally just handing out food and making it free. And then people going, oh, wait a minute, you know, this challenges my idea of like how food should be acquired or something like that. Um, can music and you know artistic expression and just living be a, a way in which we access the world we're trying to live and trying to build through you know being you know into anarchism and stuff like that or uh, I don't know what do you think about that or is it itself ultimately just fun and a good time and then it's over yeah I mean it's both <laughs> like uh, I mean I've been researching the 60s a lot and the, the hippies came out of the diggers who were just had that exact philosophy of just you know 
we have ever there's enough wealth where you can just like get all the food together and distribute it for free so they would ha- they would open these free stores and there'd just be like a, a bowl of money on the table and you take money or and or you you know drop off money and with food and clothes and all this stuff and that expanded to new york city and like that grew into the motherfuckers and the yippies to a certain extent but during that period like 66 to 69 there, there was this philosophy that the revolution just was the counterculture. Like, the young people of the country just were dropping out. They were living communism in the moment. They were fighting the state. Um, and that was just what the revolution was going to look like. And so, and that was, there was like a little bit of a tension with the new left, and, but it all, you know, fell apart in 69, 70. Um, and I think punk was a bit of a recapitulation of that, especially anarcho-punk, um, where, again, they, they're this massive movement of young people all across the world decided we're just going to live in a radically different way. We're going to dress different. We're going to make a different kind of art and we're going to sort of create a fiction around that. Like this, this fictional like tribe or ethnicity called the punks. And we're going to have our own ethic and our own spaces. And, um, and like, you know, that's, that went through different waves of like certain kinds of, uh, respectability, different kinds of politics, if, you know, how much the people believed in the fiction or not. But Inferno was a band that came and like really, really recapitulated that punk ethic of like, we are a different kind of people. They even, you know, they reminded me a little bit of ICP in the sense that they had all <laughs> yeah. these circus illusions yeah. and they would, they would, they would call their shows the circus and their fans, the clowns. And, um, <laughs> And uh, and that was, I think, kind of saying, like, yeah, we're kind of like theater nerds and we're dorky and like all the hipsters in Williamsburg where we play think that we're losers. Um, but we're having a great time and we're living the way we want to live. I feel that way when I watch certain bands like you do, like get into a communal mind space when you're watching music but then sometimes you're like oh wait a minute but it feels cheap and commodified because I'm in like a music festival or something like that. And uh that maybe maybe you feel a little bit more authentic when you're at like a DIY venue or something mm-hmm. and you're like we're doing it it's actually happening or something like that and uh it, it just always feels like we're like like we're trying like we're creating the i guess i already said this we're creating the world that we're like trying to build and you're like it's like like a portal like a vortex like you always call it like you're and destroying the world that we think sucks yeah hell yeah and just like <laughs> taking what we want from it you know that's i it's like an attitude that only makes sense amongst like punk bastard kids, you know? Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks for talking to us, Andy. Thank you. Listen to the Antifada, everyone.
Okay, we are now joined by Ted Leo uh, from Ooh. punk rock music. Ted Leo and the Pharmacists, Chisel, a bunch of bands, comedy even. Um, sure. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was cool. I, I thank you for responding to my DM and um, in the process of DMing you, also going through this weird thing where we realized that we had an old conversation from a long time ago it was kind of right, funny right. I, I i'm really bad like i i don't really you know i'm kind of off and on with so, all social media these days and and um i actually don't like i don't have alerts set up for likes and dms and stuff so i don't actually check them that often i'm glad i did <laughs> yeah i mean it's pretty cool i'm glad it happened um but i wouldn't have been offended or anything if it didn't i just kind of figured oh, maybe i'll give it a shot because um what did you guys talk about before? well what happened is anime <laughs> yeah it just <laughs> a long time ago we had a deep conversation about uh what makes anime anime no um DMs are so weird and like texts and stuff like that. This is a real modern thing where if you don't talk to somebody for years and then you do, the last thing that, that happened, it just is right there. And so like right. it's really funny because right, right. sometimes you got to fight with that person or whatever and you just are like, hey, you know, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff real quick so that scrolls up past the page or whatever. But um, I guess the last thing that had happened was years ago, our pal Raghav, who used to be on the show, uh, he had a friend who was like, had some horrible accident. He was in the hospital. And I, I think recently I had mentioned to Raghav, I was like, Hey, look, Ted Leo followed me on Twitter. Like, pretty cool. Right. And so he was like, dude, that's what, that's his friends who's in the hospitals. He was like, that's his like favorite musician. Do you think you could bother him and see if he'll like, you know, give him a call in the hospital or something. And, uh, and I guess I had tweeted at you or something. I don't know the context. When I looked back into the DM, it was just me showing you a message from Raghav that's just like a joke about he's like, do you think you can get Ted Leo to come perform sex acts on my friend in the hospital? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the context. I think I might have <laughs> tweeted outside of the DM, like, I'm going to send you a link to something. I don't know. Um, and then we were talking about it, and you were like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I never did that. But I think you did. I think we all just forgot because later yeah, on. Yeah, you did. He really appreciated the sex acts. Thank you again. <laughs> yeah, no, you're welcome. Yeah. No, Raghav told uh, me that he was like, oh my God, it happened. So maybe you did or maybe it didn't. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I did. Yeah, it's it's entirely conceivable. I mean, it's not something that I wouldn't do. So yeah. I hope I did it. It would be weird if everybody thought I did, but I didn't. And then I should figure out how that works and do that more often, right? <laughs> yeah. You hire a guy to do like cameos <laughs> for you or something. Yeah. <laughs> There was much more of a story to this than I guessed. I thought it was going to be like, do you like Harambe? <laughs> Thanks for wasn't following that long me. Ago. <laughs> well, I was just, we were trying to figure it out when I started talking to him and, or to Ted here. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Cause then Raghav died, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I guess we'll never know. But, um, at some point we all talked to each other three years ago or something weird. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, anyway, uh, Thanks we for should being find here. out. We should find out what happened in that hospital. <laughs> yeah. yeah, someone pretending to be Ted Leo showed up <laughs> in a hospital room, and uh, also in a nurse's like, outfit. Yeah, yeah, it was the Joker. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyways, uh, so the reason I wanted to talk to you is because we're uh, talking a little bit about. World Inferno Friendship Society, obviously, because uh, Pete, v Pete Vent Antonio, a.k.a. Jack Terrycloth, 
just passed away this last week. Um, and you wrote an obituary about it, which I read and I thought was really great. And I thought, um, you touched on some things that are thematic to, you know, not just that story, but this whole question of like kind of other stuff I've been talking about on the show lately of just like, what is like, what is punk, you know, in, in general, like, mm-hmm. so I guess right off the bat, like, I, I do just want to ask you that basic question. Like, what do you really think of like the concept of punk? Is it like a philosophy or just a style of music or a movement or, you know? Well, I, I, I mean, this is, yeah, as I'm sure you've, as I'm sure you probably also feel it's impossible to really pin down. I mean, I, I, I think that it is one of those things in the world that's actually, it's actually true when you just say like, you know it when you see it. Yeah. You know, um, and you know it when you don't. I was just talking, I went down to, to Pete's uh, wake the other night and um, I picked up uh, my friend Anthony Roman who was in um, Radio 4 and uh, Garden Variety back in the day. and Another mutual friend of, of Pete's, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, and on the way back we were talking about a number of things and, and uh, one of the things that came up was kind of how New York and Brooklyn in particular changed at a certain point and people in bands around the turn of the century and what they were like. And, and as hard to define as it is, we were talking about the fact that it's not crazy um, to think that you can kind of tell when somebody grew up punk and when they absolutely didn't, like no matter what they're doing, yeah, <laughs> no matter what they're doing right now, you know, there's just like a shared. Um, I guess this is the the way with any quote unquote subculture, but there are a shared number of like signifiers and um, um, references, but also just a kind of general way that people kind of carry themselves, and as broad as that is, even within the 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 idea of punk. Um, when you do have conversations with people about, for example, the music business or something, um, even if people land on the on a completely different page from you regarding like being on a major label or you know doing branded you know shows that are sponsored by a, uh, Seagrams or you know whatever like whatever the yeah 1990 thing was and um, you know it's not that you're always going to be in agreement with that person, but there, there, are, you'll encounter a lot of people who have no idea that there's a discussion. You know, who have no idea that there are issues right. to discuss. Um, and I think that's one of those. That's one of those things. Like when you say, like, is it a philosophy? Like, is it just a kind of music? I'm not. I'm not willing to say that it that it is one or the other or both. But, but what I will say is that there's a constant conversation that goes on, and people who have been part of the conversation uh, are people who you you can kind of tell are are quote unquote punk you know yeah yeah it's weird I've like never been able to quite pin down what you're describing but there is just some yeah. this vague thing of like oh you know about the thing like when you meet somebody yeah yeah you know I mean it's the same with you know with politics like if there are 
there are things that people just go through, and that, this is not to be disparaging. Sometimes you need to. Obviously, we all need to learn. Like nobody's born you know, with a perfect, with a perfect uh, brain full of all the knowledge of history leading up to the moment of their birth. But like, you know, sometimes you encounter somebody who just has, it's just never entered into their equation to consider the things that you know you're considering, for example. And and I think that. Um, like that's kind of the only real dividing line between like, and it's not even, I guess I'm not even talking about what is punk and what is not. I'm talking more about like who is punk and who is not. Like the only real dividing line that I can find is people who are aware of the conversations that go on, like the one that we're having right now yeah, and people who aren't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I, uh, I've heard you say, you know, while we're talking about the, Oh, wait a minute. We're going to start talking about things I've said? (laughs) (laughs) I got a gotcha here. I don't know if you get gotcha questions very often, but uh, no, I I, uh, was listening to an interview you did uh, talking about how, you know, it's sort of, there's sort of a contradiction within like the ethic or the, the, of punk Mm -hmm. uh, where it goes kind of two ways. You were saying it towards like sort of a socialist, humanistic direction that right that, versus like, like a libertarian exactly kind of exactly yeah. yeah uh and like what what is your experience with that ben and and where have you found yourself in certain points uh veering off on one of those two directions or another sure well i think that it's probably pretty common that you know kids get into this sort of thing in a in in a you know with a very like fuck you energy that tends libertarian, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, don't tell me what to do. Uh, right. I'm learning how to become an individual. I'm, I'm, I'm learning who I am. You know, I'm, I'm developing my identity and I don't want to be forced into your mold, man, you know? <laughs> and, um, and that's totally legit. And, and, um, and, uh, that's, I think like when I, when I talk about that kind of frizz, frizz on with, you know, socialist impulses and libertarian impulses like you know that would be the kind of entry point to the libertarian side and by the way when we're just to clarify terms like i'm not talking about like modern libertarian dudes like i'm talking about uh, i guess the older use of the the word anarchist term yeah libertarian socialism although it is it is funny because what you're talking i'm I'm now thinking of nick gillespie are you familiar mm-hmm. with him from am, yeah. Reason Magazine? Who yep. wears black every day, dressed from head to toe in black, and like has a jacket? I think was Sid Vicious's at one point, and he like <laughs> right. uh, it, it works for the Koch brothers. Basically, is just the yeah. shill for the uh, quote unquote establishment, even though he thinks he's this this rebel. Right, because um, you know <laughs> it's very easy to frame the 20th century, um, you know, the macro experiments, a number of the macro experiments with like, quote unquote, leftism in the 20th century, it's very easy to, to, um, to frame them as, you know, authoritarian, um, and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and therefore, you know, a, a quote unquote libertarian would, would be against that and think they're being punk, you know, like, um, and, uh, it's it's where those ideas meet and how uh, where the not those ideas not authoritarianism and, and libertarianism but but a sense of social justice a sense of um, 
uh, compassion for mm-hmm. humanity and you know our fellow beings on the planet. Um, how to how to um, how to enable uh, more freedom for others. You know through like you know leftist ideas and leftist policy while also retaining that sense of individualism uh a furious um you know uh disrespect for authority that you perceive to be unearned or uh unrighteous unjust you know etc um it's where those things meet and and finding out how to um how to integrate them uh, in some way, you know, into yourself, your art, whatever. I mean, that that's like, I think probably what I would, this is a long-winded way of getting back to what you are saying, you heard me say in the past. I think probably what I was leaning toward was that like, that's where, you know, punk as a world, as a genre or whatever, like gets interesting to me when those mm-hmm. things get hashed out. Yeah, I, I think that's a really... Uh really good way of explaining or illustrating at least the argument that punk music is very like anarchistic in the sense that it is in the bottom left quadrant of the political right. compass right. it's the intersection of the socialist and the the libertarian thing working in harmony and and you know being driven by the individualistic you know um subversion and like anger and stuff like that with with the ultimate goal of harmony and uh you know making the world better and stuff and fighting right. against the authoritarian and the you know the fucking dumbasses or whatever um so i <laughs> i wanted to kind of from there segue into like this quote from this sticks and stones song that you start off your piece with which is when i saw your teenage culture my contempt turned to a torture had to change to make sure i had nothing nothing to do with you but now what i see is the exact same and you people aren't supposed to be the same and i'm ashamed because you use that to lead into the first time that you met Pete V, which was when uh, he was in Sticks and Stones, his first band. And I guess, like, really to me, I was kind of fixated on this moment because you're describing, like, a guy like Pete V as being someone who... And I, I'm really curious whether I'm right in, in sort of, like, guessing that you're, you're this similar type of thing. Someone who's in punk which is a system or a culture that began out of reaction to what it, a thing that it's thought was too constraining and too unjust. And then sometimes in punk, you kind of realize like that old cliche of like, Oh, we're all wearing a uniform. Like we all thought mm-hmm. we were different. And now ironically, we recreated a fucking bureaucratic thing with rules that, you know, we were all trying to get, you know, out of to begin with. Right. Right. And so Pete V seems like the type of guy who arrived there and then like continued to apply the ethics of punk to punk. And then that causes you to enter like a, a second phase where you're like, like, um, like I always think about Fugazi being like a band Mm -hmm. that, you know, made, uh, well, first they were a minor threat, and they made this music that was angry and subversive and reacted to something. And then, instead of continuing to do that, they s- noticed their following and their fans sort of become placated 
and plateau and then they go away and they become fugazi and they become this like jazz influence thing and at first their fans like don't like it you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then they have this like moment of like synthesis where like that's the point the point is to keep challenging the point is to keep evolving yeah. and I, I guess i always thought about that with you because i first started listening to like ted leo and the pharmacist albums without really any context and i just liked them and then I had this funny moment where I just like noticed that you were playing on like Psych Fest in Austin and like all of the other bands on the flyer are illegible, doom, sludgy, you know, <laughs> things. And then it's like yeah. Ted Leo and the Pharmacist too. And I was like Chaos and Tejas. Yeah, or Chaos and Tejas, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and I'd be like, how did that happen? And then I you know, and then I like learned like, oh, you like you're like a punk. You came from a punk scene, and it is actually actually truer to punk ethics to have even if you're in like a world where maybe you are expected to be a guy screaming gutturally about vomit if you actually sound like yourself and have mm -hmm. melodic music in you to play that in maybe even defiance of the constraints of that scene itself or whatever um is am i right about that or is is it a whole I mean, other story I, I take that as a compliment so i hope you're right about it <laughs> um i i uh I, I think that that's definitely how I've always felt about myself. Um, I mean, you know, argue there's still a world to this day where Citizens Arrest, like the band that I was in in the '80s, is way like way more popular than anything I've done since. And like, I just like sang on a demo. <laughs> I was in the band for like a year or two. Um, and uh, you know, part of the reason that, but actually. But the reason I bring that up is because I loved that band and I, I loved what we were doing. But, but part of the reason that I felt okay leaving that band when I did, um, you know, it's like I was going to college in the Midwest and they were all uh, local in New York. And it, it was just like there was no point at that point to asking them to put the band on hold for months for me, you know. Yeah. But also, like that was a screamy hardcore band but like i wanted to sing like i like to sing it's what i like to do and i wasn't going to uh you know yeah like force myself into a, a box that didn't really fit me um because that's more what was expected at the time right um all through the 90s when chisel uh, I mean, I, I, at least like until we actually got kind of more popular in the like indie world. I mean, we only played hardcore shows. It was like we were these like, you know, this like mod melodic. Um, I still thought punk band, but we'd be playing with hardcore bands all the time. Did you ever get any pushback like from the crowds and stuff? You know, I'm I feel very lucky, and I should knock on wood. Uh, my career may be over, but in case it's not, I'll not I'll knock on wood. <laughs> like this continues, but I think that um, we benefited. Maybe this was just the, just the times because there there weren't a ton of bands, um, you know that that sounded like us or, or or were doing what we were doing. But I think we benefited from. Well, a, I, you know, I did have that past, and that was always like a, like a, you know, a, a calling card. People are like, oh, there's a guy from Sins Rest, like he's cool, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but B, I think we would play, you know, we could play a hardcore show or a punk show, and people would be like, oh, 
Yeah, like they're doing like an older, th- it's like a more melodic thing, you know? Yeah. But then we would play like an indie rock show and people would be like, oh my God, they're so energetic right, and right. loud and <laughs> punk, you know? And it just like, there was some, we managed to like, we managed to, um, you know, sort of stand astride both both things and not fall over, you know, for a oh. while. So. And was this in uh, D.C. in the 90s? Yes, yeah. Okay. Because it, it's interesting because I, I live in D.C. now and I'm mm-hmm. trying to learn more about the history of punk here and uh it seems like you know there were bands in the mid 80s like like rights of spring which came about and they were like being pretty relatively speaking pretty emotional with their lyrics and mm-hmm. songwriting and there's a lot of, and there was pushback at that time yeah so do you feel like by the time you got to dc punk was a, a bit broader like you could kind of you know, go where you wanted musically, or did you feel still feel some of those pressures? Maybe I. I mean, it's really kind of see. This is where the where the conversation always like starts to break down for me because I mean, I I have to keep saying this. Like even talking about like my more recent records with people. Like when we get into talking about punk, I'm like, do you think that like London Calling is not a punk record? I mean, it's on a major label. Like, musically, it's all over the place. Like, would you say that's not a punk record? Usually the answer is no, of course it's a punk record. And then right. I'm like, all right, well then, th- why are we even talking about what I'm doing? <laughs> you know, it's like, right. it's, all, like <laughs> it's all in there, you know? It's just like it, trying, to, um, trying to actually be an, I guess, trying, trying to actually like be an artist and a songwriter who follows you know ones yeah like where one wants to go with that um because the because you know the flip side of the coin is that like i'm also forever struggling with wanting to like yank my songs back just into like a db you know a a hardcore kind of thing i mean there were there were actually periods (laughs) there were periods of the pharmacist where um i mean i yeah, 10, 12 years ago, like I was not in a good place mentally and that may or may not have played into the fact that like I also was, I mean, I was like, I was driving my band. Like I'm surprised they still play with me, you know, <laughs> like it was really like, like we were just Ramonesing our sets every night. Like everything was super fast and there would be like no breaks between songs. And I feel like I was actually kind of crushing my own songs because i i like i needed to like put that kind of energy back into what i was doing not necessarily the right thing to do with with songs that aren't you know aren't right for that you know and and i i think that was not the best time in our in our band's history like i probably should have just written some different songs that would have you know that would have been fit more into that mold have you ever been in a moment of creative crisis where you've considered, like, maybe I'll just, like, get a crazy mask or something? Uh, Especially mm, recently, I, that's probably come up. <laughs> no, not, no, but I'll tell you this. Um, uh, we, we did this show, um, we did a tour <clears throat> with... Uh, years ago i mean early 2000s with um that band quasi 
which was like Janet Weiss, who was also in uh, Slater Kinney at the time, and, and Sam Combs, and um, it was just a two-piece. But they, we were touring with them, and they would end with this cover of um, Sabbath's War Pigs. And while we were touring with them, we would put on these like monster masks okay and go out and back them up because they were just a two-piece um, like electric piano and drums and and i would play guitar and ed and the, i understood for the first time like how wildly freeing it is to to operate behind an actual mask like that you know i've never i've never wanted to go out and do it like for one of my own shows but I did feel like I could do anything I wanted to. You know. <laughs> That's really it's called unleashing the beast. Yeah, it was very it was dangerous. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. I can't believe there was I, an I, answer I, to that question. I, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I like I singed my fingertips on that fire, and I, you know, I've walked away. Well, wow. the thing, I mean, you don't want to be in a position where you're wearing the mask and don't like it because that's got to just hollow you out inside right away. Can you imagine? Yeah, boy. It's like, what am I? I'm not a Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. I'm lying to all these people. Yeah, what if Green Jelly hates doing that every night or whatever? Uh, or Orville Peck or whatever? I was thinking of Guar. Like, yeah. if you're, what if your heart isn't in it, but you're playing in Guar? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. You got to, like, you're chainsaw just... the president's head off, and you're like, <laughs> Go back to school. <laughs> I wish, yeah, I wish people would pay attention more to the, you know, the music and the lyrics than the, <laughs> than the gore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you 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 talk about these lessons that you got from uh, Pete V slash mm-hmm. Jack Terry Cloth. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? About what inspired you to just write about this? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So when I heard he died um, last, you know. Uh, I guess it was earlier in the week, like Monday or no, it was over the weekend last weekend. Something like that. Anyway. um, It's been a blur, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I also like, I, I, someone texted me and told me and, um, you know, once I got the word that it was okay to tell people, I texted a few people as well. And, um, you know, both of my brothers, my younger brothers have also been in bands, um, over the years and uh, they both knew Pete as well uh, from the World Inferno years not so much from Sticks and Stones but um, I I texted them and my brother Danny wrote me back and he was like fuck I just saw him a couple of months ago we were I was at a bar and you know he showed up and we were talking and he was like really effusive uh, saying nice stuff about you and and it reminded me, like, that gets to, I think, one of, like, was one of the, like, last gifts that I talked about. But, it, you know, people always, you know how, I mean, if you've had, if you've experienced any loss in your life, you know probably what it's like to, you know, because the other thing I did was I opened up my, my text app and I punched in Jack Terrycloth and I realized that I hadn't texted him in so long that like I had a new phone and there was nothing in our text thread you know right and the last thing he sent you was asking you to go to a hospital to do sex acts on his friend (laughs) but as a joke (laughs) um and uh you know that doesn't feel good and like you always have those kinds of regrets what I could have said what I shouldn't have said you know etc and Danny 
telling me that Pete like was was being effusively nice about me reminded me of how many times he's done that. Like he and then I it, you know I realized that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, "Holy shit." That like the last like 15 years of my interactions with that guy have been a gift because he got into this place where he was one of the most demonstrative people about the things that he appreciated the people that he appreciated like it wasn't just me like i've you know i i i felt very lucky to have had conversations with him with like our you know arms around each other really good to see you glad you're still doing what you're doing you know appreciate you you know kind of conversations and um and I've seen him, I've seen him be that way about other things and other people as well. And 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 that's, so that's what immediately went off in my mind. I was like, well, that's a gift. Like that's the gift that people are always talking about. You know, like right. when someone, you know, when someone who maybe knows they're gonna pass soon starts like writing letters or making amends or just telling people you love them. You know, like that's the gift that often gets gets talked about and and um and it just got me thinking about my whole history with him and i i was able to delineate along the way going back to literally the first time i saw him on stage um that he was actually um the uh you know the the locus for some pivotal um moments for me and um and uh, you know all of them positive and so i was like considering those gifts as well yeah yeah it was uh really moving the way you wrote about it um so i appreciate it it is a gift you know um yeah. i th- so I, the last thing i kind of want to ask you about is uh to kind of sum all this up you know we talked a little bit about punk and we talked about jack specifically and um I was watching some interviews with him and I've been listening to a lot of world inferno and, um, thinking about what the shows that they played, like kind of were as a project, mm-hmm. uh, as an experiment with like hollow moss and all, all of that stuff, right. all the fire breathing and like, you know, t- dragging, doing that, like Chris Gethard stuff where you drag the entire audience out into the you know lot out front and stuff and right. kind of doing something, outside of just playing a show and um so he 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 talked a little bit about this thing that has i've heard other musicians talk about and i've thought about a little bit myself called the temporary autonomous zone which is an anarchist like idea that was theorized by um a guy who is now canceled (laughs) oh hakim bay yeah (laughs) i didn't know hakim bay was canceled it's been a while since i've encountered Uh, he wrote a lot of like Nambla kind of stuff. Oh, interesting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Extremely autonomous zone. Yeah. Uh, it's real weird. And I honestly, I had Temporary never... Temporary erogenous zone. Anything I... goes in this zone, I'm telling you. <laughs> Get in the zone. Yeah. It's I... only temporary that they're underage. So I guess... <laughs> oh, God. So I had wow. never actually okay. read the the like pamphlet or whatever, Temporary yeah. Autonomous Zone. I had only heard about it uh, from like Patrick Stickles talking about it in regards to punk shows. Mm-hmm. and a couple other musicians and then uh, Jack Terry Cloth and I actually read a little bit of it today and it is 
wackadoo nonsense. There's like Middle Earth, or not Middle Earth, Hollow Earth and like chaos theory. This is completely right. insane. But he was also an anarchist thinker, and I guess the idea kind of uh, had took on a life of its own. And you know, yeah. it's stuff that like Murray Bookchin's talked about and stuff like that. And um, and I also thought about it a lot while I was on tour a couple years ago, and it, especially. At one point, I had to play a show with this anarchist collective in Portland called Anaris, and we literally, I showed up, and it was, like, like an empty, like, not even an empty room, an empty, like, office space in, like, a like a strip mall or something. And so I was like, okay, wait, this is a cool idea, though. And I was thinking about it a lot, and I was like, how do, what is a comedy show? We'll make the entire thing from scratch. Like, I will sit here with these anarchists and go, okay, let's think about what this really is. Put some chairs over there, you know? Mm-hmm. Put the mic over here. Um, you know, here's how this is going to operate. And I really, really, really got into this this idea, uh, which, you know, it kind of bleeds over into, like, like, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone that happened last year and these experiments where we're starting to sort of, like, pierce through this thing that they alluded to in, like, in crime think and that sort of like lifestyle anarchist stuff a lot where it's like you can almost just start making anarchism happen you know by mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by just like holding the portal open for long enough while you're <laughs> performing and then you know everyone just gets it's like burning man or something like everyone just gets to kind of hold on for as long as possible and, and be in it and but it's temporary right and um i i guess i was curious about your philosophy of like what a punk show is do, do you feel like that or do you feel as though it's just uh, entertainment I, yeah I mean I certainly have felt like that I think that um, uh, I, I, I read Hakim Bey uh, back in the day there was a club in New London Connecticut called the Taz for a while um, based on that idea the temporary autonomous zone and um, uh, I think that probably jibed with a lot of people mine Pete's age when it started showing up at, at you know uh, bookshop tables at hardcore shows um, because there was something about the very nature of where and how a lot of those shows happened that um, absolutely fit into that definition you know you talked about um, you know dragging the audience around with you uh, you know and, and that kind of like um dissolution of the fourth wall yeah um was you know was certainly what we what we all grew up with as an ideal i'm also here to tell you sometimes you need that fourth wall (laughs) 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 but but like that's definitely when that comes off and that works and the energy is right and nobody's being a dick um that is an ideal and that remains an ideal i think and um you know, I, I especially during um, I think like the you know Bush two years like oh four oh uh, eight you know um, I would get a lot of questions. Uh, I'll you know I'll, I'll get into this since we're talking about like what's punk. You know, like, I would get a lot of questions about like do you think you're doing anything singing the songs that you're singing? You know, do you think you're there weren't a lot of it's shameful to say, and it's probably been slightly memory hold, but there weren't a lot of, you know, indie rock was just a dumbass capitalist adventure back then. Like there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of people actually addressing things. And and so I guess in that world, we kind of stood out a little bit and people would often ask me about it. And, you know, what do you, what do you think you're, 
achieving like at your at your shows like what is the space that you're creating like what are you doing and um i had sort of already resigned myself to the fact that that sort of event a rock show especially at that point we were playing in like rock venues you know was only ever going to be temporary um but even given all the constraints of being in just a big, like, dumb, dark rock club with bars, you know, everywhere, um, where people had to buy tickets and, and stuff to get in in the, in the normal way, it, it, it was still possible to create uh, the kind of energy feedback loop with an audience that, like, for me, at that point, it wasn't about, like getting Donald Rumsfeld to fucking like listen to one of our songs and change his mind about something you know it was about community energy and um, community catharsis and um, uh, that you that you could create temporarily for a couple of hours you know every night in whatever town you were in and I mean that like that's the way that I feel like I was able to evolve uh uh, our shows from playing in you know basements or whatever you know uh, office <laughs> spaces in derelict malls you know yeah um, uh, because again like yeah it's a very manic existence the whole thing you know and and sometimes when you're sitting uh, oh I don't know in like a a weird show in an office space in a derelict mall in just off the, off the top of my head, Goleta, California, in <laughs> 2000. Uh, um, and it's a bummer. Like, it's, you know, it's the worst bummer. You're just like, what am I, what is, what am I doing? Like, why am I here? What is <laughs> happening? You know, but when it's great, it's the greatest. It's the greatest. It's the greatest thing. There are so few spaces that we can, you know, um, uh, enter into in this life where you can actually have, um, again, that kind of like, you know, uh, art and audience feedback loop, um, uh, energy, catharsis, uh, conversation, argument, um, uh, support, you know, um, and um, that you know, always remains uh, sort of an ideal for me of uh, the, the quote, you know, the capital P punk show. Yeah. 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 Cause that thing you were talking about at the beginning, like when you see someone and you just know that they like know about it, right. that's what they know right, about. Right. Yeah. 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 You're right. Absolutely. That that's, that's true. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. Well, that's something that like, I, this reminds me of something that I kind of struggle with. And I feel like a lot of our listeners and just like anybody who, wants to make the world a better place but also has like an artistic you know medium that they are dedicating a big part of their life to and it's just this question of uh, like uh, I always think of this Billy Bragg lyric and uh, his lyrics are I'm sorry who? Billy, Billy Bragg <laughs> oh okay it's <laughs> a Pokemon <laughs> how about uh, you know be cool a, great... a Halloween costume Billy Humblebrag and he's just <laughs> <Okay>. like uh... <laughs> 
you know, yeah, mate, I, <laughs> yeah, I got a good gig, just you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's bragging about a job he got, yeah. <laughs> um, right, so, sorry, I just, that was bad for me to cut you off. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right, <laughs> uh, pull the union, no, um, but he has a, this great lyric and he's known for being. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but he's known for being a bit on the nose. But this one lyric, I feel like it was it just really captures this sort of ambiguous feeling where he's like um, mixing pop and politics. She asked me what the use is. I offer embarrassment and my usual excuses. Um, and waiting down and looking down the corridor oh. look to where the band is waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting for the great leap forward. Perfect. Yeah. Yes, you nailed yeah. it. Um but yeah, that's one of my favorite lines because it yeah. really sums it up, I feel. But I, I guess, do you have any, I hate to ask if you have advice, but do you have insights uh, for like other people who are artists or socially conscious and just are trying to f- strike that balance or figure out like, is this actually doing anything? Is it a drop in the ocean? Or should we oh. even consider that? Should we even care about that and just kind of do it? Uh, I don't think you have to care about it. Um Certainly, some of the bands that I've loved the most in my life absolutely don't care about it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you do care about it um, and it's important to you, uh, I get that. And and the, I think that what you just said is actually you know when you're like, is it just a drop? Did you say in the ocean or in the bucket yes. or either way? You know, it's like that. That is the case. I mean, it is yeah. just a drop in the ocean or, or the ocean-sized bucket. Um, but, the, the, you know, this is totally plati- platitudinous, but I think it's true. Um, it, it's, you know, every, like, a pebble in a pond creates ripples that eventually reach the shore. Like, it doesn't matter how small it is. Um, it, it, it's going to happen. And the other thing you have to remember... Um, that has always been good for me to keep in mind is is if you have been affected by art then there's every chance that anyone in the room interacting with the art you're making will can or will also be affected so it's not so much like worry about am i having an effect it's trusting that you know, even if it's really just one person, I mean, this is where it gets really platitudinous also, but like, even if it's really just one person, you don't know where that's going to go. You know, you don't know where those ripples are going to go. And, you know, again, I'll go back to those like Bush, Bush two years. Um, the, like that was dark fucking time, you know? And, and for me, like the, what I would get from my audiences was literally just, you know, stuff like, uh, this got me through the week, you know, and like, that's great. Like, that's a yeah. fucking great result. Like, isn't that a, like that, that for me, that was like, all right, well, that just got me through the week, you know? <laughs> so yeah. like, cause that, that, I mean, again, it's just like, boy, it seems really small, but it's kind of big, you know? Yeah. You know, when I was like watching documentaries and reading about world Inferno and stuff this week, I noticed something that, uh, it's almost like 
cringingly positive you know mm. i mean they were a very sincere band and a little yeah. bit corny and stuff and you could you know you could make jokes about the guy looking like a good vampire and stuff but like something that i really kind of occurred to me is it, it reminded me a little bit of the people who listen to the show AA, mm -hmm. you know our own fans who were very sincere and uh some of them are goths because we used to joke about being goth oh. for some reason um and <laughs> um they he, they came about in like the late 90s and the early 2000s and they talk a little bit in one of these documentaries about how a lot of their fans like they used to not have a consistent following of people that would come out to these shows even just around Brooklyn and stuff until forums became a thing and then this oh, strange thing that kind of echoes through what a lot of us are doing with podcasting and the way that you have a following as a as an artist or a comic or a band now or whatever is this like this this thing where people can communicate and suddenly they can all hang out with each other and they're you know all people that are like ah, i was so bored and alienated until i've just mm -hmm. latched onto this thing that forms into just a like a relentlessly positive community and then those shows that world inferno would do were just like you know to be at a show like that you know what it feels like you can't possibly yeah, yeah. stand in the corner with your arms crossed for yeah. too long because it's just like such a love in that you get like sucked into it or whatever you know i have to to tell you like anecdote i i i did a lot of time with them in the late 90s and then there was a period of a number of years where i was never off the road myself like i was just like you know 250 300 days out of the year like i was touring myself and i mean i there were there was a, a lot of time went by um before i wound up playing with them again and seeing them again and that thing happened in that time yeah. because early on i think people people understood them as you know just like part of you know part of that like uh goth like weimar klezmer kind of um you know offshoot like of post-punky stuff like yeah whatever you know a lot of bands sort of hinted at that at, at times and then there was like obviously like something like the pogues or um uh like gogol bordello and stuff yeah like gogol bordello you know etc uh, you know but then there's even there's like birthday party and there was like you know Susie and the banshees in there you know stuff like that um and uh you know it was just more of this like when i when i initially encountered them it it it, it felt uh it felt a lot looser and i don't mean that to compare it negatively to what happened because it just felt like weird and open and you know could, could go anywhere and then that yeah that thing that you're talking about happened and then you would go to their shows and there'd be like cues you know that people like knew yeah certain things and they had like you know moves and stuff and that uh were recognizable and and um like and rocky horror or something yeah it became a it became a phenomenon you know not just a band it was really incredible to watch i mean i think that was one of the things that there's like you know there's a there's a showman in me that always loses to the guitar player the rock you know the the, the muso you know sort of to yeah. to a certain degree but um but i think one of the things I, I i you know i always got along with pete on was that and with him it was 
so great to see him like wrangle his showman uh, into something fully fully realized that wasn't as I mean I talked about this a little bit in the piece that I wrote too like how I was like twiddling knobs while he was just going out there and you know doing this <laughs> doing his thing and um, yeah. you know uh, sort of no longer no longer hemmed in by his guitar strap you know in a way yeah cool well um yeah i mean if anything i think uh just that the the positivity coming out of this sort of stuff is like certainly enough justification in itself to make music and do cool stuff like this yeah it's uh put me in a pretty good place thinking about it so i don't want to take up any more of your time man i know you got stuff going on so thank you very much for uh coming on our dumb little comedy you know leftist oh, podcast well i'm a fan so i'm glad that i'm glad that i could be on thank Th- you that well. can't possibly be true <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm gonna have to humble brag about that later i'm gonna go billy humble oh god uh, <laughs> i do we even need to do plugs you're a famous everyone should listen i don't to have anything Leo. i literally have nothing to plug right now anyway does that I'm, feel nice no it's uh, no? <laughs> no, it's terrible i mean I, you know like yeah i mean we there's a whole other discussion but um i like you know yeah i i got nothing i i um i've been working on a uh a mixing a live record from a, an elaborate recording that we did a couple of years ago in san francisco and i thought i was finished with it and when i drove down to pete's wake uh, the day before yesterday, I listened to it in the car, and I was like, "Oh, this sucks!" <laughs> Back to the drawing board. So, you know. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, keep an ear out for that, everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, thank everybody. you. And condolences. Well, we, yeah. Well, thank you. And and let me know if you uh, if you solve that anime question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. change to make sure I had nothing. nothing I have nothing to do with you but now what I see is the exact same and you people are supposed to be the same I'm ashamed.